again. Let's try again. All right, we're trying again. Hello. It's me, your beloved host of COP. It's really late. I'm really tired. I'm with my co-host, Matt. Matt, I have a question for you. What? I forget. Now, I have a question for you. Okay. Where is fancy bread? In the heart or in the head? Uh, probably the head. It was rhetorical. You weren't supposed to answer. Tis well, the gift to be simple, tis the gift to be free. Well, like, we know. Spirits, they're gone. <laughs> Spirit, they vanished. You know, it's a show. Uh, this week, it's the last time Matt ever gets to choose a movie, so... Last week ever. It's, it, it's kind of rough, but uh, I'm cool with it. This is a great film. Uh, last last week of Matt, Matthew's Month of Mayhem here at Cult of Personality, we picked... Faster! Go, go! Faster! Faster, pussycat. That kill, was kill. that was a samurai cop reference. That was a I don't, deep. Cut. I don't like that movie. Faster, go, go, faster. Bingo. That's all I know from that movie. Is and, bingo uh, an undercover cop? Well, what about um? No. Hey, we got nothing to do. Let's fuck. And he goes, "Shut up." No, I don't even remember. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one, actually. Or uh, what about when Robert Zadar? Um, cuts off the dude's head and that ginger chick goes, nice job. <laughs> I don't remember that. I, I know so I many lines purge, from that movie. I try to purge as much a samurai cop as I can from my memory. It's a good time. Yeah, you know, it's a good time, but then it's a, it's a good one time. It's a good... And, and then Lucas makes you watch it a couple more times, review it. It's a good few times. You know, you hit, you watch it 13 times. On the 14th watch, it loses its charm. Should we, uh, we should put it down now. I didn't know that there's a Samurai Cop 2. Yeah. Should we review it? Yeah. Is the question of the day. Well, next month was supposed to be our shit month. Uh, we're starting it off with Flash Gordon, so I don't think it will actually be that shit. Was and... that, is that your actual pick for yeah. shit month? Well, no, it's not we were going to. I don't know if we will. We don't but... have to do shit month, okay? <laughs> I keep telling you we don't have to do shit month. We could just do a mix of good and not as good films. Flash Gordon will probably be something that will be somewhat divisive. I can imagine that I probably won't like it. Like it. Yeah. yeah. I have a feeling. Yeah. Well, okay. Then we can do... You know what? We'll say it now. We're doing... Um, we'll do Samurai Cop 2 next month. That can just be the next one. Whatever. Okay. Yeah, uh, but this week we're talking about Daddy, I Want an Oompa Loompa, subtitle Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, subtitle R.I.P. Gene Wilder. R.I.P. Gene, R.I.P. to the rest of the cast that passed away. This is the old ass. This movie is almost 50 years old. Yeah, next year. 50. Right? It came 71? 71. This is going to be 50 years old next year. That's crazy. It's nutty. I mean, scrum diddly umptious. <laughs> Daddy, I want a scrum diddly yumptious bar. Daddy, I want an oompa loompa right away. Now, I wouldn't blame you if you haven't seen this movie in a while because it's a baby movie. So, if you are watching this thing, like, what is this movie about? Johnny Depp's in it? No. Not the Johnny Depp movie. Johnny guys. Depp is not in it. That is in Tim Burton's film. Um, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, completely two different movies. One is good, one is really hard to look at, and has uh, Yoda from The Empire Strikes Back as all of the Oompa Loompas. People are going to think you're saying Frank Oz when you say that. No, it's Deep Roy. Come on. Deep should... Roy. Yeah, look at this little slugger. I shouldn't say that like that because he has dwarfism. But, or stuff. I don't know what the turt. Look, there he is getting suited up. Deep Roy. Yeah. And he's also the Oompa Loompas with the red latex outfits and the... What a terrible design for the Oompa Loompas, I have to say, for the 2005 film. A red, uh, cheap plastic suit. Yeah. And then headphones on an Indian guy? <laughs> That's what he this? has to say to you. Yeah, you know, a Deep Roy. Uh, Wait, was he? No. Yeah, he was uh, the... Kingser? Weird... Is that his name? Yeah. The weird beady-eyed alien that has, like, a rock face from 2009 Star Trek. Holy shit. And he's in Flash Gordon! Oh, no. Oh, my God. And Star Trek Beyond, Planet of the Apes, Transform... Holy shit, this guy... 
Ground round, get around. This guy gets around. He gets around. He's yeah. in Mantervention. Yeah. Which I'm going to assume is some sort of porn thing. Yeah, it's probably a softcore. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I got that feel from it. There's like a scene where the girls, are, their boobies come out. Yeah. Uh, un- undoubtedly. Indubitably. Lethal Woman, Rising Storm. You Well, you missed his, actually, yeah, there, these are the film, <laughs> The NeverEnding Story, I think, is a big, bit of a bigger film than that. I haven't seen this. Return to Oz, uh, I'm, I'm going to assume it's a skip. Speaking of The Wizard of Oz, which is a musical, we're talking about another musical today. What are we talking about? Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. I think they probably gleaned that. Oh, did they? They probably got it. Okay. Yeah. Well, Matthew, what's this movie about? Basically, you have this youngin, Charlie yeah. Bucket. Yeah. And boy, oh boy, is this kid poor. He's got doesn't have a penny to his name or a, even a hay penny to his name. Eats cabbage water for Eats dinner. Eats cabbage water for dinner. How sad is that? It's a it's a such a bleak depiction of poverty and so and so true to life as well. Yeah. When you just can't go into the candy store because you don't got no cash. Mm-hmm. And Charlie is hoping to find a golden ticket. Yeah. That will let him visit the mysterious Willy Wonka and his extraordinary chocolate factory, mm-hmm. where he makes all sorts of sweet, sweet chocolate. Sweet, sweet juice. Mm, I love that sweet, sweet taste. Uh, and yeah, so basically the whole plot of the movie is, does he get the ticket? You find out at the end of the movie whether or not he does get the ticket, and that's the whole movie. Yeah? Uh, yeah, that's the whole movie. I think... This oh, isn't there's a spoiler. A, there's a, like he gets the ticket. Yeah, there's but a, there's a part at the end where he goes to the factory, but that's yeah, you know, it's not a big deal. <laughs> that's the uh, epilogue. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, come on, who doesn't know? Who who doesn't know this? This is arguably the most mainstream film we've done, aside from perhaps. Have we done anything more mainstream than this? I don't know. Uh, let's quickly do a little uh, checky poo here. I did find out this was a cult movie because this did become a lot more popular with subsequent viewings and did like they live. That's that's not that like Dazed and Confused. Yeah, maybe that that'd probably be the runner up. I would say then this is a lot more mainstream. Office space. That's kinda like like I'm thinking like can you go to someone on the street and be like, Do you know this movie? You, sure. Have you yeah. seen this movie? Yeah. No, it would, it's definitely the most mainstream we've we've done, yeah. But it's, uh, I saw a bunch of lists. I said it was a cult film, and uh, I think it has some cultish properties. Like? Let's just jump into it. Like what? What makes it cultish? Yeah. <laughs> oh, there's a lot to get into here. Let's yeah. start from the beginning. Sure. This is a musical fantasy film, and yeah. I love this movie. Mm-hmm. And I'll preface this. You know, y- you know. You know what's you know what the bags are gonna be looking like towards the end of the show here. Right. There's a lot I love about this movie. Let me pull up my notes here. Okay. Yeah, because I I the last few notes that I've taken that I took for movies were like one sentence long. Let me read the entirety of my notes for Hearts of Darkness. Here we go. Paying natives a dollar an hour to make the temple. That's it. You didn't even need to write that down. That was just kind of a given. Yeah. You just have to assume that there was unpaid labor or mistreatment or human rights violations. Mm-hmm. If uh, the movie was made before, well, 2000, I guess. I yeah. They probably still do that now. Anyway, the intro to this film, let's start there. I love this intro. It's sim- it's simplistic. Yeah. It's just uh, a montage of candy making and chocolate churning and such and such. Yeah. But it's framed in such a way that it's sort of mesmerizing in its patterns. It, it's strange in the way that you never really see things. Uh you never really see like very distinct human-made objects in the sense that it could it could all just be sort of some sort of visual wonder. I really love the intro. I even yeah, like, you don't see any machines. You just see like yes. chocolate. So it's just immersing yourself, and it's a good prep to be immersed in a world of chocolate and splendor. Yeah, it's got a great rendition of uh, pure imagination mm-hmm. instrumental over it. Then you get into the. First act of the movie, we should probably talk about this movie in acts. Sure. Or at least halves. And yeah. maybe this will be a good time to talk about, I think you're not as big a fan, of the first 30 minutes or so of this film, which oh, yeah. is Charlie's adventure trying to find a golden ticket. Yeah. 
what's what's up with that? Well, it's a, it's the same thing that you said when we were watching Empire, and you were like, "There's so many like reveals." Yeah, and when you already know it, this is like an issue with the rewatch that you watch it, and you know, maybe it's just because you grow impatient, but you just want to get to the factory, and there's. 30 minutes of Charlie trying to search for the golden ticket. So you get, it's his birthday or whatever, uh, and sleepy Grandpa Joe, because I should say he lives in this house with his mom. The father is not mentioned at all. So they you, said he passed. No, they didn't. They do. When? When uh, when they first introduce, uh, before Charlie comes in, when they first go into the house, they're like, shame his father passed. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, then I miss that every time I watch it, I guess. <laughs> yeah, okay. So his father is out of the picture. It's his mom and then his two sets of grandparents. Two sets of useless gold digging, hoarding, <laughs> absolute abomination human beings. Grandpa Joe, Grandma Josephine. Yeah. Uncle, uh, Grandpa George, and Grandma Georgina. Georgina, you guys are pieces of shit. Um, laying in bed all day <laughs> while your ten-year-old or younger son is slaving on the paper route. Unbelievable. I I love that they just like have they said they haven't left bed for like twenty years. Yeah, and I've always loved this idea of like these just like human slugs just <laughs> laying in their bed. I'm sure that's a big fantasy of yours and he just gives you runescape set up. <laughs> just get your uh, the other grandpa to hold the monitor. Yeah. He'll be good. But. And I, I noticed this on the second watch is that like a lot of sets, like couples in this movie, the males will just be like Joe and the female will be Josephine. They yeah. do that with like like Augustus parents or something too. They do they do that with uh Henry uh Henry, Henry and Salt Henrietta and Henrietta Salt. Yeah. They do that. Um who also there's Mike T V. We don't really see his dad and we don't really see Beauregard's mother. But uh, that is a recurring theme and, and that's one of the small things that I like about this film. And there's a lot of small things I like about it. A little surrealistic surrealistic touches, mm -hmm. little moments of humor. Uh there's so much to go over. I really like the framing of this movie as a kid's movie. Because it's a kid's movie. Wait, wait. I just want to finish one thing. Okay. Um, and then just go back on that okay. on that point. But, um, so yeah, it's his birthday. And they get him not a Willy Wonka, a scrum diddly umptious bar. Or no, a regular Willy Wonka bar. They give him a wagon wheel. And there's no golden ticket. And that's something that most people don't even notice. It took me a, like a couple of viewings to notice. But the first time he gets a candy, it's not even the Wonka bar yeah. that the five golden tickets are supposedly high, hidden in. It's like one of his wagon wheels. Yeah, like Fudge Mallow, I think it's yeah. called. Uh, so right off the bat, you know that Grandpa Joe is a huge fuck up and like a huge waste of time because he <laughs> was in charge of getting it and he couldn't do one thing, right? So there's that. And then... Um, Charlie is so, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Altruist? Altruistic, yeah. Yeah, that he just gives the rest of his money, um, that he makes from his paper route to his grandpa to buy tobacco with, and then his grandpa doesn't buy tobacco with it, he buys another, this time an actual Wonka bar for him, he opens it, no ticket, then we find that the fifth and final winner has found the golden ticket game's over, then it turns out that it was actually all fake, and then Charlie buys a Scrum Dilly Dumptress bar, and then buys a Wonka bar, and then finds a ticket. That sort of stuff, you know what? I didn't like it, because we watched this movie two, three weeks ago. Like a couple weeks ago at most. Yeah, and then we watched it again just, you know, a couple hours ago. And I didn't mind it as much, because the first half of this movie have these, like, scenes peppered in that are just there for comedy's sake, and they're so good. So, like, for example, there's this lady, and her husband has gone, like, he's been kidnapped, and there's a detective in her house, and he's talking to the kidnapper, uh, and he says, like, they want uh, your, your box of Wonka bars, and the lady's like... How long do I have to think it over? <laughs> yeah, I, some of the scenes like that, they're, they're, they're so great. Those scenes are great. And you know what? I've In in the past episodes, I've talked about how like kind of comedies of this era, uh, like Harold and Maude and, of course, Airplane. Yeah, another Airplane. <laughs> Mentioned. This is going to be the red letter media version of Star Trek. Airplane. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so 
this movie and so this movie rather than try to do have these comedic bits here and there or, or have them be non sequiturs while flowing in the narrative they just kind of have these things happen yeah. in a very airplane like way they're all great mm-hmm. uh the joke in all of them is just that people are mad about Wonka bars and, yeah. and they're going crazy over them. But all of them are like varied and creative. There's like four or five of them. You see like the queen uh, bid on a box of Wonka bars at an <laughs> The auction. last one in uh, Europe or in, whatever. In the United Kingdom. Yeah. Uh, it's great. I love that kind of touch. The film kind of has this kind of snarky humor that I really like. And to me, it's great because it almost feels like a subversive element of the music fanical, musical fantasy series in the sense that The Wizard of Oz is very honest and very earnest mm-hmm. and it's very, you know, happy-go-lucky. Yeah. But then in Willy Wonka, you kind of have like, you do have like, you know, of course, Charlie's Odyssey is just about a good kid yeah. getting rewarded for being good. Yeah. But you have this stuff like that where you have like these sort of darker jokes and of course we'll talk about Willy Wonka later on. Mm-hmm. That made me think, like, the people who worked on this film, David L. Whopper, Wolper, who directed it, David Selznick also worked on it, they wanted to aspire to do a little bit more than just a standards kids film. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to think that some of the influences uh, from Roald Dahl, because his books are pretty darkly comic, usually sometimes just dark. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that the movie has a very uh, self-aware mm-hmm. And it's an aura to it that I love. Going back to what I said earlier. About it, yeah. I like that it's framed, as I said, I like that it's just framed as a kid's musical fantasy. Yeah. But it actually has these elements, Mm -hmm. uh, these subversive elements that make it a little bit different and stand aside. That's another reason why this film is endlessly rewatchable for me because you can kind of take it as like, just a straight-laced kids film with a little bit of humor there, mm-hmm. or you can have your own interpretation, especially because I think there's a lot going on within the film, especially when you get to the chocolate factory. Minus the Oompa Loompa songs and, like, the little songs Gene Wilder will sprinkle in, I was right. There are five songs in this movie. Uh, I just wanted to say that. I just thought five that... Songs? Yeah, there's... The mom's shitty, depressing song that... Cheer up, Charlie. <laughs> so there's a Candyman song, the mom song, Sleepy Joe's song. If we say Sleepy Joe, we're talking about Grandpa Joe. Uh, Wonka's song, and then Veruca's song. Let's, uh, let's, do the, let's do a quick rundown of the song, since this is a musical. Okay. Uh, the mom song sucks. Uh, it's, it's the worst song. In, is it the worst song in the film? Yes. Um... It just meant to highlight, like, look how sad and poor and, <laughs> Little Charlie and broken Charlie is. Um, His mom doesn't get enough to do in this movie. And yeah. one thing I always thought was why, if it were me, I would have taken my mom to the factory instead of dumbass Grandpa Joe. Which is a nice segue to Grandpa Joe's song, which I think is decent, too. I like I've Got a Golden Ticket. Yeah. That's overshadowed by the fact that you find out he's been freeloading all these years. Yeah. Uh, he can just suddenly move his legs. And the Candyman song, I guess, is so popular because it like will come on on the radio while I'm working. I'm sure boomers love it. It yeah. was in Madagascar. Do you remember that? Um, The first one? Yes. Every time Alex gets, uh, Alex the Lion gets tranquilized. Oh, yes, yes, they play the yes, Candyman yeah. during his hallucination. And then they also have like a Wicker Man reference and a Planet of the yeah, Apes reference. That's the only ones I remember. And the Wilson, so Cast Away reference. They do a lot of the DreamWorks. Early anim- like early 2000 DreamWorks movie kind of followed the mold of Shrek where they're yeah. like, pop culture, boom, pop culture, boom, 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 boom. We're in boom. Disneyland. Candyman song is pretty good. I like the whole sequence too. It's a great uh, sort of opener to the film. Besides the actual like just even credit sequence intro. Yeah. Um, there's Violet or not Veruca song. Veruca song and Wonka song. And pure imagination, of course. Veruca's is, is kind of flat. I would say that's probably the second worst, in my it, opinion. It's a bit flat, and I always thought it was strange that she, of all the children, was the only one yeah. giving given a song. Uh, perhaps she was the only one with any chops for singing. And she was also the most vocal of the kids. She was, yes, I suppose, and that makes sense. She, I mean, she wants it all, so it makes sense she wants her own song in the musical <laughs> from a meta perspective. That's a, yeah, that's a good perspective, honestly. Uh, but, like, the first 30 minutes of the film, I enjoy because it's kind of like, it's, it's probably the most kiddie portion of the film where yeah. you just kind of have Charlie bouncing from school to the candy store to his paper route. Very relatable. Yeah. 
it's done pretty well though. I like a lot of the shots. I one of my favorite shots is when uh Charlie is walking just past the Wonka gates and it kind of zooms out and you see Wonka on the huge yeah, yeah. sign and he looks as the factory lights up. And the the meat cleaver salesman comes up. Yes, and a man credited as the tinker. <laughs> like and I'm not sure what this is. And this is another piece that I think was sort of a subversive element and just kind of a comedic element. Just having this old man selling cleavers and knives and machetes come up to Charlie and say, <laughs> Nobody ever comes out. Nobody ever comes out. And he had and he has some some sort of like proverb that he lists beforehand and that's like a horror movie cliche is like the gas station guy yeah. or whatever who's like if you go to cramp camp crystal lake you'll never come back and it's funny and and that's great for for two reasons one because it's just funny and just as a as fans of film that we can kind of see that uh and number two because it leans credence to the idea that Wonka's Chalka Factory is a just this huge horror show where kids get uh, turned into <laughs> horse glue, yeah, <laughs> and then shipped out with the next batch. Um, it I, it's pretty good. Yeah, um, there's one scene the man I both love where they show off uh, Violet's character, who basically all the kids have a little trope, and I kind of said it's like a like a classic fairy tale where they'll just present a bad trade in kids and they'll be like, if you do this, you'll die. And it Violet is. is chewing gum. Veruca's is being greedy. Augustus is being a glutton. Mike TV is just watching too much TV. And then, um, I guess Charlie doesn't have Charlie one. doesn't yeah, have a sin a, because he's a good little boy. Yeah. So they show off, uh, and how Charlie sees who's winning. What is it's on the news? And we just see it through the lens of like news. And I think the guy who directed this or something worked, I think he did, um, like, documentaries before. Oh, yeah. So that's kind of, like, his thing. Um, but anyways, we see it through the lens of um, the news, and we see Violet's character, and she does this thing where she's like, Hi, uh, hi, what's her Hi, Cornelius, sweetheart. <laughs> <laughs> I beat your record. Hi, honey. Uh, of all the kids, Violet is my favorite. I was telling this to Luke. She's funny. I also like when Veruca's, like, bitching and complaining. She says, shut it, you nit. She yeah. said that, like, a couple of times. <laughs> Because uh, they all get tired of Baruka bitching and moaning all the time. Saying, mm -hmm. Daddy, I want an Oompa Loompa. I want a Golden Geese. And as, like, when the kids are winning the tickets, we see this character, Slugworth, come up to them and basically tell them, if you steal something from Wonka's factory, I'll give you a big prize. And then in another comedic book, Slugworth looks like um, um like a high-ranking member of the Gestapo. Yes, that's like a, someone in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yes, like he has the he has the circular glasses, yeah. he has the top hat, and then he has the scar, and yeah. it's vaguely German. Yeah, uh, <laughs> which is strange because they have a German kid as like, um, yeah, I don't know. It was strange. Yeah, they, Augustus is like a, a the pride of Western Germany. Yeah, I suppose. Um, and then I guess, and that's that's about it. It it for like the first half of the film. That that that's the bulk of. We talked yeah. about the bulk. Yeah, of it, really. and and the other thing is like this movie is set in like a quasi, English like white. I'll just say white. They never, white country. They never say where it yeah. is. Charlie lives in the same town as the Wonka factory. Um, him and his family are presumably American. Mm -hmm. Their town looks very European. Yeah, it's just kept vague on purpose i'm gonna assume i believe in the book he's just british but i guess that given that this was an american version they wanted to have an american protagonist yeah and then they have augustus who's german and then veruca who is like english english and, and then mike and violin i guess are, are american, american. Yeah. so they have like sort of three american children and two foreigners yeah um also charlie's mom's wig is really bad i is it i want I don't wonder why they gave her a wig. Yeah. It it looks strange. It's just like this big ball of hair that they put on her head. <laughs> Gene Wilder's hair looks like a wig in some shots too, but maybe it's just that crazy. He's he, he think he's balding in, oh, in yeah. his films. Uh, so I think he just has wispy hair mm. at a degree, to a degree. But that's a good segue to when everybody finds their golden ticket. Yeah. And then we get into the meaty part of the film. They go to the factory and mm -hmm. it's time, October 1st, Time to get their lifetime supplies, chocolate, as well as a tour of the massive plant. Uh, of course, we get the iconic Gene Wilder opening. Yeah. 
that he insisted on fun production of, uh, or else he wouldn't take the role, which is when he is walking down the red carpet acting like a cripple. And then he does his big somersault reveal where he says, hey, I'm still me. I'm back, baby. I'm pretty sure Gene Wilder said like he wanted to do that because he wanted the audience to not know if they should trust him or not right off the bat. Right. Which is which is probably a good idea because this guy, this guy's shady. Yeah. Wonka, he's a nutter. <laughs> they go into the factory. Right off the bat, we're getting some good stuff. Wonka goes in and he makes him sign this big contract mm -hmm. and we should talk this is a good time to just talk about wonka yeah of course gene wilder's performance is amazing i truly think this is a great great performance um he plays this manic character that appears friendly he's quoting all these literary sources yeah he's supposed to be this recluse and that's not really something the film dwells on but it kind of makes sense when you think about it is that Grandpa Joe has told Charlie that after many spies had invaded his factory, he shut it down. And three years later, it just started working again with unknown helpers. We learned to be the Oompa Loompas. Mm -hmm. I like the idea that Wonka had just been driven mad by his desire <laughs> to be Candy King or yeah. Chocolate King. Um, and it's just it's such a dynamic performance. He's got great range this. He plays like he plays like traditional, like yeah. Candyman type do-gooder. He plays like literally insane man, sarcastic in a, asshole in a in a psychedelic vortex. Uh, he does apathy amazingly yeah. in this film. Every time a kid, or uh, there's a few instances when the kids are, are of course going to indulge in the vices that they're not supposed to, and he says something to the effect stop, of, "In no, this tone, no, don't stop." We're looking <laughs> unamused as we know what's going to happen. I love his performance in the film. I think every second of him is watchable. I think all his lines are great. Yeah. Um, I didn't really get... When Gene Wilder passed, I was like not a fan of this film because I hadn't really seen it. Uh, but now I really understand why people were so attached to the character because it's great. You you got the soundtrack on vinyl, right? I did, yes. Is, is it just the five songs or what's on it? Oompa Loompa songs are on there too. And the five songs? Yes. Okay. As well as I think some instrumentals oh, Okay. and stuff like that. It's pretty good. Nice. It's a golden record too. Yeah. I got a golden <laughs> ticket, baby. Um. Yeah, the, the contract scene is so funny because like... The words just get smaller and smaller where there's a blur at the bottom. Like, I, I can't see what it says. And, like, um, Veruca's... Not, not Veruca's fa father. Uh, Violet's father is like, Hey, you know, contracts are for suckers. I make them... People sign them all the time. <laughs> what does it say here? And he's like, Ah, you know, it just says... Yeah, basic stuff. And then Mike TV's like, I want to sign it! I want to sign it! And Or Veruca wants to sign it first or whatever. Um... And then they, you get these, like, scenes where he opens up a door to go in, and then, like, they just go down a chute, and they're all trapped. I think it's, like, on a slant or something. Uh, then they're looking for, like, a room. They're looking for another door. Then they go through it, and they go into a room that leads to a smaller door. And all that stuff is uh, great. And I love, and I, yeah, I love all those, all these uh, strange contraption Wonka's ha Wonka has. He has, like, basically this fun house slash haunted house yeah. rigged up. And I love the sets on... Some of some of them are not as good as the others, I'll admit. But I love, for example, just that little corridor room that they had to have built. Mm -hmm. I love the classic, the candy garden and the pure imagination scene. They really pull out the stops here. You, you, and like right off the bat, when they enter the chocolate factory, you really get this sense of strangeness when not only you have these this huge contract but when you have the hands coming yeah like coat hangers yeah it's really the stuff like that that's like kind of teetering on the edge between like very dark and Horror. strange yeah and like fantasy and whimsy and that's the kind of line that the movie toes that makes it part of the reason why i love it so much it's kind of like how hausu teetered more on the edge of like horror but it's like the same thing yeah they're exactly in the, they're in the same like struggle except like in different positions there. And that's something... I have not read the book in a long, long time. And I'm wondering if that is something from the mind of Roald Dahl. Because that makes sense if it is. Because um, that's sort of his type of writing. But if it's not, that's an inspired turn for the screenwriters to have uh, Willy Wonka and his chocolate factory to be this sort of... Uh, I don't know. This this house of horrors. It's so, it's so strange. Yeah. Man. It's such an... 
it's such an enchanting part of the film for me. When they're in the psychedelic vortex mm -hmm. and he begins screaming his rowing song. I love that. That's and, probably my favorite scene of the movie. That's great. And and then they get truly horrific. You have these animals being like, yeah, like a chicken being beheaded. There's like yeah, and there's like animals being like eaten. Lizard like eating worms and yeah, stuff. Yeah, and everybody's screaming and. Ah, it's crazy. That was a very that was a very inspired scene as well. They had the Suspiria lighting. I know you don't get that, but in the movie, uh, in Suspiria the original, they have like the lighting is like that the whole movie. Really? Yeah. A bit not of... not as fast, but it's basically that the whole movie. Like a vortex of colors, like a kaleidoscope yeah. kind of deal. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they go they go into like that the. Oh, I, I wanted to say quickly, actually, I read the book, but it was in when I was a kid in daycare, so I don't remember much. All I remember is the end, and I'll I'll say more about that when we get to the end. But um, yeah, they get into the factory. The only thing there are like a few nitpicks I have with this movie. Hit um, the Chocolate River looks terrible. It looks like our Red River. This is such a big qualm for so many people. Like, that is yeah. pretty insignificant to me, personally. Yeah. Kaylin also said the Chocolate River looks like shit. Doesn't yeah. look good. It looks watery, okay? It looks like yeah. Nesquik at best. <laughs> you know what? Wonka's got some secret stuff going in there. <laughs> we can't fully understand his his master plan, but it's there. The inventing room set, not a fan. It's, yeah, it's whatever. It, it looks, it's just like... They have, like, good pieces. Like, I love the Everlasting Gobstopper machine. And yeah. they have, like, a few of those machines that look, like, straight out of a Dr. Seuss book. Um, so, like, the Gobstopper machine is just, like, this thing that's hidden under fabric that we can't see. But there's tons of moving parts. It's making, like, whirring noises, splishing noises. I don't know. But <laughs> I, I love that. Um, and then there's good jokes in that inventing room scene where, like, he's... And there's, like, an air, airplane jokes, basically. Yeah. He's stirring it, and he's like, hmm. And then he tosses in some uh, some shoes into this vat. Willy Wonka does, I should say. I'm not good at describing things. But Willy Wonka's, like, making this new candy or whatever. He tastes it, and he's like, hmm. Tosses shoes into the vat, and he's like, and he's a little kick. And yeah. he does that again where he's like, Oh, that's far too cold, far too cold. And he throws a coat into the thing. Uh, there's just like, air, there's lots of airplane jokes, like old school comedy where it's just like prop comedy or like, uh, I don't know what the word is, but um, you know, in like airplane where he's like, I, uh, I am sure and don't, or I, I know and don't call me surely. Yeah. Like, I don't know what you'd call that, like playing on words. Like wordplay, yeah. Yeah, wordplay. There's like jokes like that in the the movie yeah it, it's great and like gene wilder handled those very well i really love his interactions with the kid in the film mm -hmm. with the kids in the film because he addresses them with this air of condescension yeah for example when mike tv is blabbing about something he was about to explain he says you should open your mouth a little bit wider <laughs> when you talk I'm a, I'm a trifle bit deaf in my left ear. You should speak up next time. <laughs> he has just... He, he comes off as, like, the uncle tired of dealing with these little brats. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's great. And it and it's another aspect of the character uh, that kind of makes you, like, think about who Wonka really is in mm -hmm. the sense that he invites... Initially, he's pretty courteous to these children, but he really doesn't give a damn about them being in danger or anything. I think, well, after time... After time, he cares less and less. Like, yes. at the beginning, he's like, oh, nice to meet you, blah, 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 blah. But, and he grows more and more apathetic to the point where when the final kid falls into the trap or whatever, he's like, uh, don't do it, no. No, stop. Help, please. <laughs> even the, well, even yeah. the first kill. So but it's see. like, it's... It's if you compare the two, he's way more apathetic at the end. I like to like, and this is my this is just headcanon, of course. I like to think it's Wonka, uh, just growing less and less, just growing more and more tired of having to play the role of oh no, something bad's happening. When he yeah. kind of figures that given the kids that he has, uh, in his factory, that they're gonna do bad things, and I like that this is like this weird perverted morality tale. Where it is like a modern day fable, where you have like these kind of gruesome things happening to the to the non do gooders, and you have this kind of central figure who kind of acts as a as a judge during executioner in the sense that Willy Wonka is sort of judging the fate of these children who's mm -hmm. good enough to run my factory. Spoiler, uh, and who isn't? 
uh, it's great in that sense. And you can take it, and it's good because you can take, once again, you can take it literally or you can, uh, you can kind of see it as the kind of subversive type of narrative that it is. And that's one of the things, once again, that I love about the movie. Um, I like to, I also love that each of the kids, uh, well, some of them have, you know, pretty standard sins. Mm-hmm. Because this group eats too much and Veruca wants too much. But then you have Mike and Violet, which is have very specific kind of zeitgeisty things. I suppose at that time, kids would just start watching a lot of TV. The chewing gum one was like the most specific. Yeah, which is like kids would chew a lot of gum. They say that it helps you stop smoking. Were kids smoking yeah. at this time? And uh, you know what? In, in the 2005 movie, what does he say instead of buying uh, Grandpa Joe tobacco? I don't know. We we should have watched it, but we didn't. We didn't. <laughs> in twenty in twenty twenty, that would be his uh, his ketamine addiction. It's it's his uh, opioid addiction. Yeah, tobacco. That's gross, man. Come on. Um, I have some meta analysis, and I think okay. like with any good movie, you kind of do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just want to list them off and get your take. Okay. What in this movie should we take literally? That's a good question. Yeah. Um, the easy thing to say is, see, there's and there's layers to it. You can say it's all, it's all metaphorical, and yeah. the sort of more realistic aspects are just kind of to ground it. But it's all sort of a parable or a or a more or a, a fable kind of yeah. deal. Um, you can also see like just the stuff that doesn't really make sense, like the Candyman throwing free candy at children mm-hmm. is like something that was just kind of a fantasy sequence Mm -hmm. um what do you take literally Uh, so i take everything except the like singing scenes i don't take those literally like the candy man is throwing away candy um and uh like what what else what was there was another 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 thing like for me personally i don't i don't really fixate on that because I, I kind of take the narrative like this is a story that's happening, but in terms of what's, what's real or what's not, this is a film that's so silly yeah, and there's and it's so fantastical that to me it's not something I worry about. It's like when you're watching Wizard of Oz, you know, I don't really try to think what, what elements of Dorothy's psyche all these things are supposed to represent. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't take... And, like, the elevator at the end, stuff like that. I don't really know. But there was another meta-analysis thing that I wanted to ask. Well, maybe not meta, but what do you think happened? Do you think the kids died? That's a good... And that's a great question. And I like the... Once again, I like the ambiguity of the Mm -hmm. question. If I have to give a definitive answer... Yeah. Because I guess we should say quickly, Augustus falls in the... Chocolate River, drinking it, he's the first to go, and then he gets sucked up a tube, and then, I forget what he says, like, he says something like, you can just go collect him if he doesn't drown or something, like, uh, in the room? He, he says, he says that that's going to the fudge room. Yeah. Uh, and that they're going to go fetch him uh, before he's made into fudge. Yeah, so there's that, um, Violet choose this piece of gum in the inventing room that's like an all uh, five course meal on one and then when she gets to dessert it's blueberry pie and then she turns into a big blueberry and then he's just like oh you can go deflate her um mike tv he's the last to go um they have basically the beam system from star trek in a <laughs> in a room but they beam them small and you know that's another for example that's another set that i love sorry to interject yeah that's the fine Wonka vision set and yeah. the costuming that is excellent mm-hmm. it's, it is such a strange contrast to go from the colorful factory to this just white sterile room and i love that and another small detail, I love like how the Oompa Loompa just kind of work in the factory, like not really giving a damn that Wonka's touring. Like mm-hmm. this is like no big deal. <laughs> the Oompa Loompas are great. Uh, they're they're done principally by there's one guy who's kind of like the main Oompa Loompa that you kind of know. But anyway, continue. I shouldn't it, interrupt. That's fine. Like yeah, I think they they were finding it hard because they shot this in Europe. I forget where exactly. They shot it in some town in Germany. Yeah, and they were finding it hard to find um, little people. I don't, is that the right word? Yeah. Okay, they were finding it hard to find little people um, to play in the movie, so they got them from all over the place, and they weren't. Some were 
if you kind of watch with a close eye, some are better than others. <laughs> yeah. Some are just kind of walking around. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, that's a great set, the uh, the Wonka Vision set, and I was trying to think of it like scientifically, and I was like, I guess they were just condensing them, like making them more dense, so it could be yeah. possible that Mike would expand again. I was just thinking of it in that way, um, and they say, oh, he can go to the la the taffy laffy taffy. Did they say laffy taffy or just taffy? No, just the uh, taffy stretching. Right? Okay, yeah, so he can be stretched out again. And then uh, Veruca gets dropped, maybe in the furnace. Yeah, uh, that and one is the most ambiguous. In one of the most darkly comic lines, he says... Well, she has well, a funny chance. <laughs> you know, he says, the furnace is turned on every other day, and I can't remember if it was turned on today or yesterday. So she's got a sporting chance. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the stuff like that. I think the ambiguity of the kid's fate is is one of the, like, one of the reasons it's like one. It's a made. It's a appeal of the a bigger part of the appeal of the movie for me, and I think that's a part of the reason why the film is endured. I think to a degree is when the movie kind of has these dark, dark aspects, and it kind of commits to them, not in the sense that they straight up say that the kids are dead, but that they speculate on the fate so much. Yeah. I think it's del very deliberate to have this idea that yeah maybe these kids are dead. Yeah, because like you can think of it as a classic fairy tale where they're dead. Yeah. And don't do this or you'll die. Or you can think of it realistically and literally as like this is a f actual chocolate factory, and if he was just killing kids, you'd go straight to fucking jail. You, I, I don't even think you can sign like a waiver that'd be like if I go here, um, and I like can you sign a waiver that's like if I do something here and I die, it's all good. I mean, that's basically what they have you do, like, when you sign up for the gym, when you sign up. Really? Yeah, they make you sign a waiver. You've never been to paintball, and they made you sign a waiver being, like, if you get fucked up, like, that's Yeah, but you, if you're, bro. like, getting hurt. Yeah. But, like, not if you die. It's all... I, th I, I think, like, I mean, like, if you go skydiving, it's kind of like if you die. I guess so. So it's kind of the same thing, and this is a, certainly a lot more dangerous than <laughs> skydiving. Um... But yeah, um, I don't know. It's just I think it's I think it's funny that they had the contract scene as a nice like way to foreshadow like yeah, all these kids are gonna get fucked up <laughs> in a second uh, when you have this huge list of things yeah like accidents like he's like there's like covers earthquakes like torrential rain like all this <laughs> other stuff that doesn't even make sense. And the other thing was I think we both agree on this that Grandpa Joe is kind of the antagonist in this movie. Grandpa Joe's the secret villain of this movie. Let's talk about all his misgivings. I have a list of all the quotes if you want them. Sure. Okay, so the first thing um, we see from the, that kind of indicates that he's a bad guy is Charlie comes home with this loaf of bread that he bought with money from his paper route, and his mom says, well, where did you get it? And Grandpa Joe says, it doesn't matter where he got it, he got it. Um, which, like, we know he got it through, like, legal ways. Like, he bought it with money that he earned. So that's fine. But, like, he's basically saying it doesn't matter if he stole it. He got it. Yeah, he, the implication, as Caitlin said, is that if he Jean Valjean this, that's all right. We yeah. got bread to eat, and that's all right with me. Yeah. And then he says, oh, when they find out about this golden ticket thing, he says to Charlie, I hope you got all five. Like, so only we win. <laughs> And that was, like, another, but that isn't as bad. Um, and then there's this one scene where Grandpa sings this song, and it says, I got a golden ticket when Charlie wins. And the thing was, all these songs were written by other people. Um, I guess, obviously, like, the director wasn't writing them. But he got, or the producer or the director got them to write it before they even finished the script. So they were kind of like, oh, write a song about winning a golden ticket. Write a song about a candy man yeah um so that one you can kind of like you excuse know, excuse but then um when they're going to sign the contract grandpa Julian says sign away charlie we have nothing to lose uh which is just like uh, what <laughs> but the big thing is eventually on their tour they find this room uh for a beta product called the fizzy lifting drink it's still in development, and what it does is a super gaseous carbonated drink that will make you float in the air or whatever. And they, everyone leaves the room but Charlie and Sleepy Joe, and he says, let's try it. And he's like, oh, okay. 
<laughs> and Grandpa Joe just makes him steal this drink. Yeah. And then they almost die. And then yeah. he says, let's pretend nothing happened. And there's a bunch of more stuff. Like, yeah. the, it's a big joke, but he was just lying in bed for 20 years. He didn't bother to get up without a damn reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, how's he buying his tobacco if he can't get up? Sends the mom. He sends the mom? Probably. I mean, who bought the chocolate bar? He says it's from Grandpa. Yeah, yeah. how did they get anything? It's from uh, Joe and, uh, what was the other? George. Yeah. George, Uncle George. Or yeah. Grandpa George. Yeah, uh, Grandpa Joe's kind of a dick. Uh, and then he tries to get Charlie to turn to the dark side by giving the everlasting gobstopper to Slugworth. Uh, and Charlie says no. But I like I actually really like the duo Grandpa Joe and Charlie because, number one, they work, they have good chemistry together, and they're very believable as grandson and grandfather. And you can kind of see, like, the admiration that Charlie has for Grandpa Joe. It's It's very true to life in a way that, you know, people who admire their father or grandfather figures, any parental figure like that. That's how I am with my grandpa. Yeah. Um, and it works because Charlie is, is meant to be kind of pure and virtuous, and Grandpa Joe is a bit of a swindler, but they make a good kind of combo. And I like that Charlie is not being forced to make these good decisions in this film. Mm-hmm. Out of his own volition, yeah. out of the goodness out of his own heart. He makes these decisions. I truly think the end of the film, when Charlie makes that decision to give back the everlasting golf star, I think that's a great moment Yeah. in film. And I especially love when Gene Wilder, and of course, uh, as Willy Wonka is such a literary buff, he has the perfect, he has the perfect quote. He puts his hand on the golf star and he says, so shines a good deed in a weary world. What's that from? I don't know. Oh, okay. But I, I, I assume it's from, from something literary. Probably. He quotes like who does he quote? He quotes like I think he quotes. Um, he he does a lot. I don't know. That was also another strange touch that they had that they had Wonka be this kind of. What he speaks German and French yeah, randomly. They made him like this uh, Ubermensch. Yeah. Um, he's like what? <laughs> they made him a what? They made him an Ubermensch. <laughs> They made him an intellectual ubermensch. <laughs> and he's uh, and he's just so eccentric and strange. And of course, he's uh, he's very intelligent. But he's just such an enigmatic character that it's it's like really hard to think about this movie without him. Because I think that this movie would not be like maybe as half as good as it is as it is without him. But I think this like is, having someone else play him. Yeah, okay. or or removing the character. Well, I, I mean, I don't know how another person would play him, but I can't imagine anybody except Gene Wilder kind of pulling the role off the way he did. I really dislike when people like criticize a movie and they're like, imagine if like Star Wars and they took out all the... Imagine if they took Vader out of that trilogy. Yeah. Movie, those movies would suck. Yeah, it would have sucked because it's a good part of the movie and you took a good part uh, uh, out of it. Exactly. And I do not think that this movie kind of rides Gene Wilder's coattails on this movie. I think this is a very overall well-crafted film. We haven't said it yet, but the kids are all great in this movie. Yeah, the performances are all pretty good. I, I love Violet, of course, but they are all very convincing. Maybe the weakest is like Augustus Gloop, but that's just because he's kind of just there to stand there and be fat. Yeah, he has like two lines and then he's up. And then he just falls in the river. All Hungry! The, the parents are great too. Mrs. Mm-hmm. TV uh, has, <laughs> she's got great spa- facial expressions. Mm-hmm. She always looks manic. Uh Roy Kinnear plays Mr. Salt. He's mm-hmm. great. He is. He probably has the most back and forth with Wonka. And they're also a great combo. They have excellent chemistry. They do. Which is to say, um, Mr. Salt tries to level to him like man to man. And Willy Wonka always has pulls something out of his pocket. His little whistle? Whether his, whist- whether his little strange little whistle or some strange turn of phrase or something that always has him kind of scratching his head after Wonka leaves his side. I never thought about this. I have to rewatch it. Is that Whistle calling the Oompa Loompas? Yes. Bruh. The- <laughs> never, Wait I just a thought minute. About, I Wait just a thought minute. about that right now. The Oompa Loompas come as soon as he does that. Yeah. That's, yeah, it's his thing. He yeah. calls the Oompa Loompas. Yeah. Oh, go save this kid. No, I won't hold you responsible. It's no big deal. <laughs> That's why he does that. Yeah. Uh, I love the little jingly place too. He's like, a, a YouTuber I watch uses that as a transition. I'm pretty sure. I can't yeah. think of who would. Maybe it was like in an iDubs video or something. Even though I don't really watch him anymore because 
He's just a scrawny white boy who says the N-word. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? The Oompa Loompas, which is not something we've touched greatly on, that the Oompa Loompas' existence in and of itself is another allusion to Wonka being maybe not the greatest guy because he manufactures the story. Or perhaps it's real in this in this world, but he says uh, that they came from Loompa Land and that yeah. they get eaten uh, by <laughs> vermicious canids. We, we didn't say it. We haven't talked about it yet, I think. But in the Tim Burton one, they give backstory to the Oompa Loompa and the canids are like giant mosquitoes or something. I forget. And like... I feel like he trades, like, gems for the Oompa Loompas to the Oompa Loompa King, which is kind of a parallel to slavery, slavery in America. Uh, you should look up the Oompa Loompa African pygmy thing. Yeah, I didn't know what, what that was. What, so just look up... Uh, the implication, of course, of the Oompa Loompas is that they're just slaves or just somebody that uh, is being taken advantage of. Pygmy Oompa Loompa is illustrated by faith. Yeah, holy shit. Yeah, the original, the yeah. So if you look up um, the original sketch for the Oompa Loompas, just straight up black people. This, is this for Roald Dahl? Yes, that's oh, what it's Jesus. Book. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Christ, man. Uh, but the Oompa Loompas are great in this film. Uh, you said some of them don't do too well, yeah. but for the most part, they're just there to be busybodies. And then, of course, they have their songs, which I love. Mm -hmm. uh, they're sung pretty well, and they're surprisingly well choreographed. Yeah, uh, they always have like these nice little dances, and they work well tying into the theme of like these parables or this or this moral story um, with these kids by having a little song to jingle. And I think it's the first song that they have these weird subtitle, like yeah, on the first song, and as well as the la as second to last song because Veruca also has it. They have these, yeah. they, they have these wacky uh, subtitle fonts. Come on. Mm -hmm. That was another strange addition that I love. And it's just like these small... So many small details. There are so yeah. many small details in film. I was I was talking to Luke earlier how the first time Charlie actually opens a Wonka bar by himself, he gets the ticket. Yeah. Because earlier he didn't get a Wonka bar and then Grandpa Joe opened a Wonka mm -hmm. bar and then he got a scrumdiddly umptious bar before. I thought that was interesting. There's a lot of small details, of course, in this one. We can't go over them all. Uh, but uh, trust me, guys, uh, the small details are the best part of the movie. Like the news anchor when he's showing that Augustus Gloop just won and the antlers are in the background yeah. sticking out of his head. Just small little cues like that. It really shows like the film, the crew that was on this film, given the care put into the sets and the costuming and the remarkably good performances from child actors that never really did any other acting again. Uh, it's just... It's, to me, it's like a marvel of a movie that everything came together in such this way, and I love it so much. I said before we watch it that there is only really one psychedelic scene, and I think that's true, but there are little psychedelic pieces here Elements. and there. Yeah, the, of course, the majority of which takes place in the Wonka factory. Yeah. When they when they get to the chocolate factory. Yeah. But uh, it's a movie bursting with color uh, and and these strange, like, reality-defining elements and mm -hmm. these strange anachronisms and all this stuff that you can kind of think of it as psychedelic in the sense that it's sort of, quote, trippy. Yeah, bro. It's trippy as hell, <laughs> man. Dude. It's like Mario and Luigi, they're in mushrooms, man. <laughs> like man this shit will send you to the moon i guess there's nothing you dislike in this movie very uh very small things that i just i can go over the things that i dislike in this movie i think charlie's the intro sequence could be cut like by like maybe five ten minutes and have them go into the factory earlier only because once again on rewatch of the film i don't find the reveals um, necessarily disappointing, but I do find that to a degree you kind of miss Gene Wilder's um, appearance in the film, like his his you know, and yeah, you're, and you're kind of looking forward to that moment, yeah. Um, but I can definitely, I do, I still do, and I don't skip ever to 
the Wonka portion. I think you have to. Earn That'd be that. lame. You have to earn that. Yeah, I I think they could re- take a one fake out and replace it with more of those little skits at the beginning, or yeah. just more or, or more Gene Wilder shit later on. Yeah, yeah. I like that. You know, some people might say like Charlie, he's like a relatively flat character, but I mean, he's just a goody two shoes kid. He's not gonna be, you know. He's, he's not gonna be eccentric like Violet or Veruca. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's one thing. Like he's kind of like he's he's just you, you know. He's, he's the like, every man. He's the every man. Uh, and he's so wide eyed. And as Luke says, when he's on the Wonkavator and he's making those weird faces, he's got great expressions in the film. Underrated. When he's crying, it's really heartbreaking. You really feel for the kid. Can I talk about one more nitpick? Yeah. It's just so small. But you know when Mike TV goes through the Wonka vision and gets shrunk down yeah. and then it shows him looking at his big mom? Yeah. It looks like shit. It does. And it then looks she, like shit. And then she picks him up and it doesn't look great. Yeah. She puts him in his bag and then Wonka starts swinging <laughs> the bag. That's hilarious. Uh, yeah, there's there's some stuff that doesn't look as good. Like you can tell the Wonka Vader is not really in the sky yeah. above the town. There's one little joke that I love so much. It's so tiny. But at the end of the movie, when it's just Charlie, Sleepy Joe, and Willy Wonka, he says, see you later, go out the door. And that hallway they're in is really weird. Like, the door is, like, painted magical mystery tour colors. (laughs) And, like, there's weird paintings on the side there, which was weird. And then he's like, see you later. And he goes in to go fill up paperwork. And... They were like, well, what the hell is this? What about our unlimited supply of chocolate? And they rush into this room. And in this room, everything is, like, cut in half. The desk is in half. There's a clock that's cut in half, like a grandfather clock. And the pendulum's cut in half, too. And it's just swinging out of the clock. And it's not even, like, it's not just cut in half. Like, half of everything is just gone. Yes, it gone. It doesn't exist. Yeah. And what a strange quirk. And it's not something you can, like, kind of logically trace, but it makes sense given this guy's demented or deranged mind. And he he has this vault or the safe in his room, and it's cut in half, too, and everything inside is exposed. And he goes to grab something from the vault, and he opens up the door to grab it. And it's just like, that's so funny. Like, he could have very easily just have grabbed it from the the side that's missing yeah but like he pretends as if it's still whole while it's broken in half so i guess that's like a metaphor to his psyche or whatever yeah yeah and he even has a half half of a magnifying glass that yes. he's using to read it and it's just small touches which and, wouldn't work and i know it's not it's it's perhaps not convincing for me to say but if you really watch this movie and you really pay attention to it you're gonna find a lot that you may have not uh, have caught on when you were a kid when you watched it or a few years ago. I think this is not just like a, a kid's film to be dismissed. I think this is a great piece of cinema. One more nitpick. Okay. And like the nitpicks are, well, you'll see. Um, when they're doing that boat scene, their hair doesn't move. That's the only thing that bothers me. If they ran a fan and their hair was moving, but it's still, and it's like they're not moving. Yeah. And I guess you can be like, you can cope and be like... They're in another dimension, bro! Yeah. But that that is kind of a, a pee-off. Yeah. That's but, it. But you know what? Like, I, hey, I can't, I, can't, uh, I can't fault them on the smaller stuff like that because there's so much that this movie does right. Um... It's just an overall, a good, good movie. And after Veruca dies, the Oompa Loompas do something which I loved. And I said while we were watching it, is like, well, sometimes this is on the parents. And they say, like, who do you think made this kid a spoiled brat's mother and father? Her parents are to blame for the shame. And that's a great, uh, that's a great message, too, is the parents watching it is also you don't do this to your kids or they're going to end up like this. So it's the cautionary tale to not only the kids, but the parents. Very deliberate choice to have a kid and a parent pair and not just have the kids come into the factory. Because it's not just for the kiddies to learn. Hey, don't let your kids watch too much TV. They're going to get an IQ of three. (laughs) Okay. Don't chew too much gum too. It's bad for you. don't put that behind your ear. Throw in the garbage, man. Move on. Well, one thing that's aged kind of poorly is like, don't watch TV. Just read a book. It's kind of yeah. a, a boomer. A bit, a bit regressive. Yeah, I'll admit. Yes, uh, you can do both, <laughs> and you can get a splendid education. Yeah. Uh, but hey, you know what? It makes it, it's relatable. Everyone's had their parents say, "Stop watching so much goddamn TV." Get off the PS3. PS3 is gone for the month. 
do your homework. Thanks. Yeah, you go first. I'm going to do what you did to Wrath of Khan. No. <laughs> you can't keep getting away with this. I'm doing it. Okay. Nine bags. I can I can allow the nine bags because, I mean, you've given, what, one ten bagger? Have you given any ten baggers? Uh, Dawn of the Dead was the only one, I think. Uh, yeah, Dawn of the Dead. That's kind of reserved a special place in yeah. your heart. I, for one, am more liberal with my top score, so I can yeah. very happily and wholeheartedly give this one five bags and join the pantheon of Matthew's Popcorn Classics. I thought that was a 4.5 was the Popcorn Classic. Rescinded. Okay. Popcorn Classics are only the five-star movies. Other high-star ratings, they will be designated other titles. But the Popcorn Classic Pantheon, with They Live, Reanimator, and Dawn of the Dead, you're getting joined by your buddy Willy Wonka. <laughs> there it is. Good movie. Good movie. I I will probably pick up a copy of. Uh, it's great. There's like this collector's edition that I've been eyeing. That's out of print, but like you, it's got like a it's got like a steel book that looks like a Wonka bar. You actually get like a Wonka bar tin. Okay. A bunch of other stuff. It's like a cool set. The steel book to me is kind of a meme. The steel book's a meme uh, unless you exclusively get steel books. Uh, because then it'll fit your collection. Otherwise, it, it looks kind of rocky when you have the steel books. Yeah, like, I'm not th throwing around my DVD cases. I'm not too worried about them getting dented. It's about, it's about the quality. Like, they have this Robocop steel book by the people who did that uh, reanimator copy that I have, and I've been meaning to check if they have just a regular copy. For the most part, I think, for... I remember when I was trying to get into like steelbook collection i used to have some ps3 steelbooks for the most part for films i think they're distributed by best buy steelbooks they do a lot of them like a lot of the editions like they had i think they were the only ones who had the drive steelbook okay uh and a bunch of others at the time a lot of mainstream films of course but uh for um for steelbooks best buy canada is the way to go Steelbook's also a brand. I didn't really know that. Oh, like the Blu-ray brand? Yeah, like the Steelbook brand. It's just a brand. Oh I don't know. God. I don't know if they do all the designs. I hope not. Jesus. But oh well. Um, if you're listening to this on umfm.com, this podcast is available on Spotify as well as Apple Music or Apple Podcasts, whatever it is. Uh, we also have an Instagram where we just upload snippet reviews, basically. If you want to see that, uh, it's Cop Podcast. All one word. Uh, do you want to do post bags or you want to get the hell out of here? Yeah, we can do post bags. What's post happening? bags? What's new? What's shaking? <laughs> I, you know, just uh, recording my show. Yeah? Just chilling. See any good movies lately? Uh, no, but uh, movie theaters are back open. Um, and you know what's funny is that Lucas Newstetter does not want to go back to the movie theater. No, I fake, don't get fucking fake Rona. Fake Cinephile. Right now they're playing... The whole Dark Knight trilogy at McGilvery. We've already seen the one that matters. Hey, don't discount Dark Knight uh, Rises, man. It's a good movie. I'd much sooner watch Batman Begins. Yeah, me too. Really? Yeah. Okay. I'm not stupid. <laughs> that movie's not too good, but I like it just because I like Batman. Right. I also don't, like, in all honesty, if I had to give an honest rating for Dark Knight Rises, like a 6 out of 10. Really? Three bags out of five. I watched it one time. It's passable. I don't know why people hate it so much. I guess because it's not as good as the one that came prior, and the villain is significantly Bane. worse. Bane is terrible. Sucks. You want a Mr. Freeze movie? Yeah, let's get a Mr. Freeze. Forget the Schwarzenegger one, just like we forgot Old Bane. Yeah. Wait, but was there Old Bane in the Poison Ivy movie? In Batman Forever, they there is Bane. And he's just like he just like a he's just like an enforcer like he's just a dumb roided out master. I don't think he has any lines. He just goes and he just starts running towards people. I totally forgot those movies. The only one that I really remembered liking was uh, Penguin, or is it Mister Penguin? No, Penguin. Penguin. The Penguin. Yeah, I I I feel like he would be too cheesy to do, but like they're I, doing him in the new one. What? And he's yeah, Penguin's gonna be by uh, not Jonah Hill. Uh, it's gonna be Colin Farrell, who is not fat. I'll just wear a fat suit. I don't know how they'll feel about Colin Farrell, but I'll give him a. I'll give him Who a, is he? Oh, he. You, you're gonna know as soon as you see him. How do you spell? 
F A R R. Oh, fucking him? Yes, Colin <laughs> Farrell. Is yeah, yeah. Oh, is that a Comic Con picture? There oh, it is. yeah, there it is. And that's his Wikipedia picture. Boom. <laughs> There's something about Comic Con that makes every. Oh, Christ. He's looking like a oh, penguin over there. He's looking rough. <laughs> yeah, I wish you didn't show me that. Well, I don't. I'll upload this picture to. Um, so you guys can see how bad Colin Farrell has got. I'm going to upload the picture as the second slide on our cop post. <laughs> uh, he was in The Lobster, which is actually a great film, in my opinion. I haven't I seen, it. seen it. No. I think you would like it. It's arguably a cult film. Yeah? Yeah. It was just, it's a, it was like an indie, I think it's an A24 film that got a lot of traction. It's like a black romance, like, it's not even black, it's like a very, it's a black, very bleak romantic comedy. Okay. Um... It's kind of a downer, but it's also kind of funny. It's like the kind of it's like a nervous chuckle movie. Okay. Yeah, but uh, probably like it then. Yeah. If anyone knows where this picture of Gene Wilder and Charlie wearing his hat came from, please let me know on the Rotten Tomatoes page. Thank you. Just production. I wonder if there's any deleted scenes for this film. I'd love to see some. Have to get the uh, collector's edition copy. You could probably just get the Blu-ray. Right? Yeah. <laughs> probably just get a v not a VHS a DVD. DVD. Yeah, probably. I wonder if that was like a thing near the end of VHS, VHS's lifespan. I actually, I think they're still making VHS, so I shouldn't say that. Like, I'm pretty sure they came with VHSs for the Star Wars prequels. Yeah, they. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. I have a VH. Uh, probably the like the newest movie they have on VHS is. Actually, check how old this is. I think it's only. I think you know, like year two thousand. But I have Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon on VHS, which came on the year. 2000. 2000 yeah they were making them like pretty late well the thing to keep in mind is that like you can get and i sometimes try to look for cassette tapes of like uh, 2008 era albums that they put out in like yeah. indonesia and yeah. stuff because that was the major medium at the time so that kind of stuff's cool to me um i was gonna say i wonder near the end of its lifetime although i guess it's still going if they would like have a combo pack with like one vhs tape is a movie and the second is like features like special oh features. yeah yeah i guess how much i didn't even know how much you can fit on a vhs tape you didn't like for i think for like longer movies it was like two tapes yeah because i got caitlin a copy of gone with the wind on vhs and it was on two tapes two tapes okay. yeah and that movie is like three and a half hours so like two hours per tape makes sense yeah but we had well I, I don't know i said we i have um those Star Wars tapes, and they have that stupid fucking intro. With That's exactly George what I thought of, is when you have, is imagine popping in your Star Wars for movie night, and you have to see George Lucas's jowls come up on your screen, the screen, and him going, yeah, um, we the, made Star Wars. Uh, the Wookiees there, yeah, I made the Wookiees, <laughs> and George Lucas always looks pissed in interviews as well. Like, he looks... He never looks happy. Well, like, you said this about William Shatner, like, going to conventions. Imagine just being the Star Wars guy for the rest of your life. But I mean, like, shit, man. Like, you can... I would coast on that for at least a couple decades and be happy. It's been a couple decades. Well, he's pissed in this interview when he's making these movies. I think he's trying to look artsy in his little turtleneck. I don't know. In his blazer. George Lucas lost all indie cred. As soon as he made Star Wars, which probably a shame to him, because he was probably hoping for a serious career in cinema. Probably. Making good movies like American Graffiti. Which you haven't seen, Poser. Whatever, man. <laughs> Do you listen to soundtrack? No. Oh. I'll wait to watch the movie first. Fair enough. Uh, I think that's about it. That's enough post bag for today. Yeah, we're going to go... Whatever. I see where the night takes us. <laughs> hey. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Stay frosty, my friends.